please turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Text seems familiar. Verses 5 through 11. And everybody will say, well, I had this outline that had seven points and took you nine weeks to get through that. And what are we doing now? Well, now we're going to pray. And then I'll explain myself. Father, we come before you, the author and the finisher of our faith, to hear your word. Father, I just ask you uh, that uh, as I knew your presence, I knew your guiding as I was gone for two Sundays. And Father, that my brothers and my sisters knew your presence also. Father, um, so many things in each of our lives, um, good and bad, and yet, Father, they all work for the good of those of us who love you. Father, give us ears to hear and give us eyes to see and give us souls that rejoice in the relationship we have with you who spoke existence into being. Amen. Um, I had brought this up that I thought I was going to go back to forgiveness before I left. And my wife said, well, you know, nine weeks is pretty much got it covered, don't you think? And I said, yeah, maybe. And when I was traveling, um, I, I ran into a, a bumper sticker. Uh, if you do not understand it, I grew up with the Vietnam era. And uh, there was a, a little incident with Jane Fonda. Uh, most people do not understand that incident. Uh, most of them think that she said in an anti-aircraft gun and that made all the Vietnam vets mad. That is not the problem. When she was visiting with the North Vietnamese officials, one of the American prisoners slipped her a note that had the name of the prisoners he knew that they had in custody. She promptly gave it over to the North Vietnamese officials, and that prisoner was beaten severely. That is why there is a, just a tad bit of animosity among Vietnam vets and Jane Fonda. I seen this bumper sticker that says, I will forgive Jane Fonda, and then in small print, when the Jews forgive Adolf Hitler. And I thought, wow, there you go. And I started thinking about my book, my Bible. And I thought, I have 66 books of nothing but God's forgiveness. And it starts off Adam and Eve. God kills an animal to clothe them. You know what that is? Forgiveness. If you go to the last three and a half years of this era, what is known as the Great Tribulations, you will see that there are people coming to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, even in that horror. Okay? So I can go from Genesis to Revelations, and what is encompassed? 
forgiveness. And yet, if you look around our society and probably even in some of our own lives, we have a problem with it. We have a problem with it. Let me get back, being it's two weeks out. Uh, what happened to Paul was a brief visit. The church in Corinth was being infiltrated by false and deceivers and deceptive teaching. And a man had stood up and attacked the character of the Apostle Paul. And Paul instructed the church that they needed to deal with this man for the sake of unity in the body of Christ and for the sake of holiness in the body of Christ. And we can praise God. They did. They confronted. And it is apparent in this letter that the man has repented. And Paul now writes that you need to take the man back into the fellowship fully, as if nothing ever happened. It is time to forgive. And you know what? There is no doubt in my mind that as soon as Paul makes this statement and writes this letter, some in the body of Christ, Christians, are going to say, Wait a minute. Maybe he changed too quickly. And the punishment wasn't severe enough for the crime. I know none of us are guilty of ever thinking such a thing. None of us ever want our extra pound and a half of flesh. Uh, we are not vindictive. We do not seek vengeance. We all just line up in droves to forgive. This man had spoken against Paul. This man was the, Paul was the founder of the church. And in verse 10, the apostle Paul says, But one whom you forgive anything, I, I forgive also, for I indeed, what have I forgiven? And basically what he wants you to understand is, um, this is no issue to me, and I do not take it personal. Paul says, I forgave for your sake. There is no need to inflict more pain on this person. Paul is basically saying here, this is a non-issue, people. You confronted him, he changed, we're done. You know, but, you know, you will have people who are on Paul's side. We need a little extra here. How can we guarantee he won't do this again if he's already done it once? Maybe there needs to be just a little more. Paul was offended and Paul is saying, forget it. The man has changed. He owes me nothing. I am not the issue. Love him. Reconcile him. And we've looked at this in detail. We've spent nine weeks looking at it. And you know what? This is still one of the most wonderful chapters on forgiveness. And we've been through this text. You know, and I will honestly say that before I left town, I had worked on the next section that I was going to put together on. And, um, you know, it's time to move on. And I also felt led not yet. Um, 
You know, when I think about the context of Scripture, when I think about the partaking of the Lord's table, who am I to leave the topic of forgiveness too soon? Because that is what it is. It's forgiveness. And I also know, being that we're such a mega church, that there are some of you who have questions that you think weren't answered. And I plan on covering as many of my bases as I can before I move on. That's why if you will look on the back of your bulletin, you will see my outline, The Nobility of Forgiveness, and you will see I have 10 points. And I didn't put the titles down because you'll see why in a minute. I'll let you put them down. And I hope that by going through these 10 points in the next two to three weeks, and everybody's going, what? Yeah, you think it's hot now? Wait. Um, I, that I will cover some of the quote-unquote gaps. Maybe I can just tie this thing up in a really cute little package and it'll be time to move on. One of the problems with forgiveness that you and I will struggle with is the culture that you're in basically related to that bumper sticker. Forgiveness in our culture, forgiveness in our society, forgiveness in our planet is seen as weakness. I don't care what continent you're on. Forgiveness is not seen as a virtue. Forgiveness is not even considered necessary. And yet we have a culture, we have a globe that is on the road to self-destruction, total and absolute self-destruction. And one of the biggest reasons is the utter disregard for forgiveness. Complete, utter disregard. Our society, our globe, exalts vengeance. Our globe, our culture, our society exalts retaliation. People, humanity is filled with bitterness. Humanity, people are filled with anger. They're filled with hatred. They're filled with vengeance. I see it everywhere. Retaliation is pursued on so many fronts, you can't really keep track of it. But this, the retaliation on all these fronts is not the thing that shocks me. It is the attitudes that approve it. It is promoted, it is approved, it is, it, it is steered toward retaliation. And you know what? As I think about it, this is a frightening world we live in. When I think about the chaos of the past, you know, when I think about the racial divisions that I have seen and I grew up with, when I think about the hatred that I have seen in the past, and the retaliation and the bitterness. Um, I grew up in Ohio. We had a wonderful little incident many years ago called Kent State. And while I was traveling, I heard that some new tapes have come out and they're going to find out who gave the order to shoot these college kids. 
Well, I know the settlement. Settlement is dropped. There is no room for litigation in this. So why are we bringing it up? And it's like I said, if you think that that is bad, wait till you see what the future brings. Forgiveness has been turned into this weakness rather than a virtue. And if you're really honest with yourselves, we make heroes out of vengeance. Really? You ever seen Dirty Harry? How about Rambo? I don't care, Rambo 11 or whatever. Don't we? We exalt it. Vengeance, yeah! Got them. They got theirs. Do you know that on an average year in this country, there are over 250,000 lawsuits that are just basically vindictive? Okay. Do you know that 70% of the world's lawyers are in this country to keep up with it? People are after every single pound of flesh that they can get. Period. Even the people who are supposedly helping us, the sociologists and the psychiatrists, they write now that it is unhealthy to forgive. They will tell you, you don't have to forgive. It was that person's issue. You should place the blame for all of your problems strictly on the people who have victimized you. That's what our society promotes today. Those people have the guilt for everything. We push it on others and then we strive for vengeance. Because forgiveness is weakness. But you know one of the things that I've learned in my years, and I'll express it over these next couple of weeks, forgiveness is the single most freeing, liberating thing that I have ever experienced. I'm not talking about people forgiving me. I'm talking about me forgiving other people. Because I have noticed that in forgiveness. Now, I'm not talking about looking at somebody and saying, well, you're forgiven. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the incident has been separated as far as the east is from the west. It is not brought to my memory again. And when you step into that realm, it brings you a joy that you can't replicate. Scripture gives at least 70 word pictures of forgiveness and what it is to forgive. Let me give you a few of them. And these are paraphrased. These are in my terms, my words. To turn the key and open the cell door and let the prisoner walk free. To write in large letters across a debt, nothing owed. To pound a gavel in a courtroom declaring not guilty. To shoot an arrow so high, so far, that it can never be found. 
That's sort of like when I go deer hunting. <laughs> so, <laughs> Look, it's gone. No. To take out the garbage and dispose of it, leaving the house fresh and clean. Loose the anchor and set the ship a sail. Give full pardon to the one who has been condemned and sentenced. It is spoken of as to loosen the stranglehold on a wrestling opponent. It is spoken of to sandblast a wall, leaving it looking brand new and no memory of what uh, left of what was originally on the wall. It is spoken of as to smash a clay pot into so many pieces that it can never be reassembled. The virtue of forgiveness is liberating. It is loving, it is an attitude, and it is an act that is seen forth. So, you know what? When I think about forgiveness and I think about the 66 books of the Bible, it makes sense to forgive. It's healthy. It's sensible. It relieves tension. It produces joy. It brings peace. It shines love. But you know what it does more than anything? It is the single most noble thing that a person can do. Christianity at its highest level. That's why I entitled this section, Nobility of Forgiveness. And I hope that I can pull it together. Some of them may have questions or whatever, and we'll see what we can do. First thing on the nobility of forgiveness. How much time have I got? Oh, ain't nobody here fasting, is there? You may be by the time I get done. No. First thing, and you'll see why I didn't give you an outline. First thing, forgiveness is the most godlike act a person can do. Okay? It is the most godlike act that a person can do. Not only is it a noble act, I mean, it's a noble act, man to man or woman to woman. But it's the most noble act that a Christian can do for another. It is the most godlike act a human being can do. Nothing that you can possibly do is more like God than to forgive. Never are you more like him than when you forgive. Okay? Listen, one of the things that we miss, and, 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 I, and I see this in conservative evangelicalism, is that we miss the fact that God is a forgiving God. That You know what? That's not rocket science, but I know a whole bunch of us who don't rest there. 
He's a forgiving God because God is a saving God. And if he's a saving God, then he has to be a forgiving God. And not only that, he is such a saving, forgiving God that he makes you and I promises. The sin will never be remembered. You know, I I got people who literally think that when you die, God's going to play all the sins of your life on some big screen And then say, see, there's all that stuff and you've been forgiven. And you know what? That's not true. That's not true. Why? Your sins are as far as the east is from the west. And and, and, and we get into this. Well, you just don't know. No, 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 no. Now, you may not have as many rewards. But the truth of the matter is, he ain't going to play your life in past and say, look, check that out. Man, you's busted. He ain't doing that. Why? You are forgiven. When he says it is finished, he didn't say it is like really close to finished. He said it is finished. Why? The penalty has been paid in full. It has been nailed to the cross. Forgiveness affirms that there is no anger. There is no hatred. There's no desire for retaliation and there is no vengeance. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Do you understand that? Because there remains no guilt. And there remains no blame. The sin is forgotten. The sin is removed. The sin is eliminated. Never, ever to be entertained again. And it is a promise. It is a promise from God. And that the issue is gone That's exactly what God does to the repentant sinner. When you came to salvation, do you understand that? When you came to salvation, it is gone. And never are you more like God than when to one who comes to you repentant, you forgive as God has forgiven you. Okay, so shall I illustrate Thought you would never ask. Gospel of Luke, chapter 15, beginning at verse 11. Luke 15, 11. And he said, a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. So he divided his wealth between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and he went on a journey to a distant country and there he squandered his estate with loose living. My grandma used to talk about that. Anyway, now when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country and he began to become 
to be impoverished. So he went and he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating and no one was giving anything to him. But when he had came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread and I am dying here with hunger. I will get up and go to my father and I will say to him, daddy, will you forgive me? It's not what it says. Daddy, do you understand that I'm sorry? It's not what he says. He says, I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven in your sight. You know that? Did you see that? But I thought he sinned against his father. No. He said, I have sinned against heaven and it's in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me one of your hired men. Make me a slave, father. Don't you find that fascinating? You know what's amazing about this text? He doesn't say, will you forgive me? He says, will you hire me as a slave? It is better than what I have right now. It's a fascinating thought, don't you think? Because most of the times we say, well, when they come and ask me if they're, you know, ask me to forgive them, I'll forgive them. Really? He didn't. He didn't ask to be forgiven. He says, hire me as a slave. I'll work for my keep. Read on. So he got up and he came to his father. Now, now watch this. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. You know what that means? His father was looking for him. His father's heart was overwhelmed to forgive, to love, and to show the love and forgiveness that he already had. He was keeping sight for the child. The child who had dug himself an awful hole. And he said when he was a long way off, his father saw him, felt compassion for him and ran, embraced him and kissed him on the back of the neck. And the son said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. You know what? The father had to write right then to say, you're right. You're no longer worthy to be called my son. But then what he says. What does he says? But the father says to his slave, quickly bring out the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. Bring a fattened calf, kill it and let's eat and celebrate. You know what that is? God saying, this is what my forgiveness looks like. You were estranged from me. You were separated from me. You came back. I looked for you. I waited for you. And when I saw you coming, I ran out. I give you an heir's ring. I clothed you in a robe of righteousness. And I am celebrating. Even if you have taken everything that I have given you and wasted it. You think about that. We see the approaching center afar off. What do you do? What do you do? I know what we do. Come on. 
Boy, I just wish it was a little hotter. Sun a little higher. Why? Because you know you did wrong. Ain't that what we do? Well, are you done? You know what this picture shows us right here is that before the S of sorry even comes out of their mouth, they are embraced and kissed. And there is a heart of forgiveness that says, I want to forgive quickly in celebration as if it never happened. A forgiving father shows you and I how to forgive. And never are we more like him than we are like this. Christ on the cross. Father, forgive them. They do not know what they do. Stephen, as the stones are crushing his life out of his body, says, Lord, do not hold this transgression against them. And the Apostle Paul in this text says, restore this one with love and fellowship back to the unity that the body of Christ. And that is Christ-like. Okay. Secondly, the nobility of forgiveness is the fulfillment of the sixth commandment. Sixth commandment shows up in your Bibles in Exodus chapter 20, verse 13. Do you know what the sixth commandment is? Thou shalt not murder. Oh, wait a minute. That don't make sense. How can this be fulfilled? In the law... That text speaks of a murderous attitude. Unforgiveness is a heart of murder. Okay? See, it's anger. It's wrath. When you look at the sixth commandment, you got to understand that you're dealing with all of your anger. You're dealing with all of your wrath. You're dealing with all of your malice, all of your lack of forgiveness, all of your desires for revenge. All of the vengeance is forbidden. And that is the intent of the sixth commandment. And I know some people will say, well, boy, that's you're really trying to stuff an awful lot in that. I thought you would say that. So go to with me to Matthew chapter five, verse twenty one. Just in case you think, well, I think he's trying to get a little bit of, you know, he's kind of trying to cover an awful lot in thou shalt not murder. Verse twenty one, chapter five, you have heard the ancients were told. You shall not commit murder. Whoever commits murder will be liable to the court. Right there. Stop right there. Okay. Basically, the Jewish law said that if you murdered somebody and you were found out about it by, you would lose your life. I mean, that, that's just the way it was. One of the fascinating things, if you want to do a, an insane study on Israel, where were their prisons? You can tell a society by their prisons. I had the opportunity to fly over uh, Castle Rock in a helicopter one time. And you know what the biggest structure in Castle Rock is? The jail. That says a lot about our community. Especially when you think about the jail's bigger than Walmart Superstore. Sorry. Whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. That's what the ancients said. That's what the forefathers said. That's what the rabbis said, right? 
Who wrote the law? God did. Here's what Jesus says. But I say to you, everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. Whoever says to his brother, you are good for nothing or raka shall be guilty before the Supreme Court. Whoever says you fool shall be guilty enough to go into fiery hell. You know what he's basing all that on? The sixth commandment. It's still in the context of you have heard you shall not murder. You have heard the ancients. The rabbis teach us. I say that everyone who is angry with his brother is guilty. The word raka there, uh, this translates, it comes out, you good for nothing. Okay, um, raka is... is um, is a term we can't really translate good for nothing. It's it's a slanderous term is what it's basically um, used as. And, 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 and if you think that by not killing someone, you have demonstrated your righteousness, Jesus is basically telling you and the Pharisees and all who would ever come, you're wrong. You're wrong. If you have ever been angry, you are guilty. Um, and, and I mean, even John even hammers on this one. And this is funny because John is called one of the sons of thunder. You know that? You know why? Everybody thinks John was this loving guy. But I remember him saying, hey, Lord, do you want us to pray that we can bring fire and brimstone down? And John. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's just toast him. You know, we'll move on. He writes in first John chapter three, verse 15. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. Do you know what unforgiveness is? It's hatred. It's hatred. Now then, I'm going to ask you a really simple question. Who's your brother? That's easy. Anybody that ain't you. Jesus strips the Jewish leaders in this text in chapter 5 of their self-confidence. You know, I haven't murdered anybody, so... I'm all right. He shatters their self-righteousness, and he does it at the point that they are their strongest. At the law. See, that sixth commandment is a murderous heart of unforgiveness. Raka um, is, is slanderous. All right. And he says here, if you throw that at someone, then you are abusive and you hate them. Which makes you guilty of breaking the sixth commandment. It's a term of hatred. When you sit there and it says, um, you fool, whoever says you fool. Basically, the term in the original language means um, the literal translation is stupid, godless one. When you see the word fool and, you know, I, I'm sure we don't run around and say, hey, stupid, godless one. Uh, we probably do. But it was used to curse someone. And if you call someone a stupid, godless one, did you see what the penalty is? That makes you guilty enough to go to hell. 
So when you look at the sixth commandment, then you know the nobility of forgiveness is the fulfilling of the sixth commandment. You don't have to kill to go to hell. You don't have to kill to violate the sixth commandment. All you have to do is not forgive. Carry bitterness, carry hatred, carry animosity, carry vengeance, carry retaliation, and you are guilty of violating the sixth commandment. The one who doesn't forgive won't love his neighbor as himself. Who is your neighbor? And I'm sure all of us around here have had a neighbor or maybe still have a neighbor that you would classify as cranky or worse. I know yeah, I ain't calling him rocking. I'm definitely not going fool. Okay, but I, I have a neighbor that is just a, a pain. Uh, and, and, you know, he, gee, me crickets, you know, I, he, he just, he just seems mad at everything. And, you know, you, you try to talk to him. He doesn't want to wave at you. He doesn't talk to you. Uh, and he just, he's just a pain. But it doesn't say, you know, except for that guy, you love your neighbor. Because, listen, the one who doesn't forgive will not love his neighbor. I don't care who you are. I don't care who you are. We had times when we were, uh, and it was kind of fascinating. There's times, you got 2,000 motorcycles cruising down the highway. We all get about 50 to 70 miles to the gallon. And then everybody has to go into gas station. Uh, I cannot imagine the intimidation factor to have 2,000 motorcycles show up at your gas station. You know, and everybody's going, uh-oh. Uh, you think they want diesel. Anyway, um, but what we were learning to do is we could line four motorcycles up at each pump on each uh, nozzle side, and you could just hand the nozzle across. You know, and here's three gallon, here's three gallon, here's three gallon, and put it back. And then one of the things that I saw start happening, the guy who was into the pump, he would slide his credit card in and pay for everybody in the line. You don't even know these people. But they, you know, I, I mean, you know, let's be real. Now, it, it, we had a place in, uh, where was it? Kansas, that somebody paid for all of us. Okay, and they, it wasn't one of us. It was somebody at the gas station or whatever. And I thought, you know, you can say it's three gallons. Motorcycles have to run premium. And you can say it's three gallons, but three gallons times 2,000 is, Wow. Okay, and, and you know, we even had somebody pay our tolls through the Kansas Turnpike. And, you know, I said, well, you know, how much is a motorcycle toll? $6.80 times 2000 And somebody paid it. Okay? And it wasn't me. Honey, we won't get a shocking bill. <laughs> Look, American Express. <laughs> I don't leave home without it. <laughs> so I didn't do it. So, But I did buy a couple of guys' gas. All right. But had guys buying me gas and you never rode, you know, the guy who was in front of you or beside you or behind you was never consistent. I mean, you would you'd have a stretch and then depending on how you got in and out of gas and lunch and whatever, you'd run with somebody else. And so it was never the same two people. But what it was that I saw was that people trying to help one another 
Uh, we had some motorcycle problems. I'd taken some tools with me and, and I helped some people. I, I'd taken four sets of spark plugs because, just because. And I used all four and none of them on mine. Uh, people fouling plugs and weird stuff like that. Why? I don't want to see him pushing that tank down the highway. <laughs> In one case, the guy was backfiring so bad at shooting flames out at me. I'm like, I gotta help him. <laughs> <laughs> He's about to catch me on fire. Okay. But, but I, but you still watch around humanity and you say, you know what? I know people who are angry. You know what? I bet you in this room right now, there's a few people in this room who are angry at somebody or someone for something. And you know what? Um, you're guilty of breaking sixth commandment. And one of the things that I have watched in my life, and in watched in many other people's life, is once you let that unforgiveness set in, then we are told that it will start a root of bitterness. And you know them people. All right, now I bet you, you, each one of you can have a list of people that you would say, these are bitter people. And you know what it's based on? Their unforgiveness. They are carrying this and it becomes this chain, this weight, this tonnage that they drag around and they're cranky about it. And I would be too carrying that around. And the reason is they're guilty of breaking the sixth commandment. Because that hostility, that vengeance, that bitterness, that is nothing but a murderous heart. See, when you recognize it, then you know that all you are doing is expressing your selfishness. And you know what? You have to kill your selfishness. Because that's exactly what it is. Listen, if you... Now, I want you to think about this. I'm going to close with just this thought. I want you to think about this. If you are humble enough, do you realize that no one can really offend you? Did you know that? If you're humble enough, no one can really offend you. Because you see yourself as unworthy of anything anyway. See how simple it is? I mean, you know, I, I watched this group of people that I rode across, and they complain about, you know, this person up here uses their brakes too much. This person here doesn't downshift enough. This person here tried to cut me off. You know, I think about that traffic thing that I was in where a semi gets in front of me, has to get in there, gets in front of me, locks up his trailer brakes. There's smoke and things flying everywhere, and he's riding them, and he, you can see smoke rolling out of the drums. And I got traffic in this lane. I'm, I'm riding this, the, they call it the zipper, the dotted line. I'm riding next to it, trying to see if I can get around this semi. And all of a sudden, this lady in this Lexus decides she wants to be in my lane. So I'm sitting here now, instead of riding alongside the zipper, I am riding the zipper, hoping that everybody else has as much faith as me and stays where they're supposed to be. And then you have a semi in front that you think, at any minute now, his rear brakes are just going to go out, tires are going to fly everywhere, and I'm going to sit on the hood of this Lexus in love. 
But, you know, I said, you know, I'm unworthy even to be riding with these guys. And just the privilege of being around some of these people is fine. Um, and it's fine. What am I going to do? I'm outnumbered. <laughs> All my motorcycle buddies were gone. All I had was cars and semis. And you're like, oh, bummer. But what happens when you get cut off in traffic? I know none of you have ever been angry. Ever. We don't get angry. Why? It's a murderous heart. And if you humble yourself enough, then you understand that no one can offend you. At all. It's impossible. Because you understand you're as unworthy of anything anyway. So, I got two. Next week I'll get the next seven. Let's pray. Father, I just praise you that in forgiveness we are more like you than any other time. And in forgiveness it is the essence of your sixth commandment. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your forgiveness that we now have peace with you. And because of that, we have your peace. Thank you, Lord. If we have any hearts of unforgiveness, may today be the day of our freedom that we'll be cut loose to forgive. And we praise you and we thank you. We love you. We cherish you. And Lord, I just praise you for your word I praise you for my brother Stephen and my brother Paul and our Lord Jesus Christ and even the parable of the prodigal son that we see forgiveness. To your glory, to your praise, in Christ's name, amen.